Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Hi, welcome to Missed Apex Podcast, and thanks for joining me in the podcasting shed. Missed Apex is powered by SpannersReady.com. Hire us to produce your podcast at SpannersReady.com forward slash hire us. I'm joined here in this little shed by Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going, Matt? Ah, it's going most excellently, Spanners. How about yourself? Do you know what? I'm fine. This week, though, has just creeped up on me because we had the back-to-back Grand Prix. It felt like the whole world was about F1. But this week, it's just kind of a bit, it's crept up on me. Yeah, no, it's sort of, you do have that experience of just like, phew, let's take a breath. And then you're like, oh, but there's a show. For those of you finding us now, we are an independent (laughs) podcast hosted on SpannersReady.com, where we aim to bring you your race reviews before your Monday commute. Although I think we will definitely fail that next week. But generally, we want to be the first race review that lands on your podcatcher. We aim to bring you a podcast that is safe for work. We're going to keep it clean here so that you can play it at work or with kids in the background. My aim is that my six-year-old can sit next to me and hear this. So that's some of the housekeeping out of the way. We have more guests than I expected this week, Matt. Yes, and that is a very good thing. Would you like to introduce them? The first one from motorsport.com, the assistant technical editor. It's Matt Summers, F1 Summerfield. Hi, Matt. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Our next guest is Vortex Mortio. Your striking Californian looks are unique, if nothing else. Uh, well, I suppose unique is a good thing. I'll just take that as a compliment. Thank you. <laughs> okay, let's go straight into... Dirty News. Big Dirty News, Matt. We, it seems like the last few weeks we haven't had a chance to just talk about anything in the press because it's been race, race, Lewis taking somebody out on a straight, Rosberg being punted off on a corner. We haven't actually talked about F1 news for a while. 
No, we've not. And there's been rather a backlog of hopelessly speculative stories to pontificate endlessly about. Yeah, and uh, there's pe- people telling me uh, to talk about the effect that Brexit is going to have on F1. And I can tell you now that we're not going to explore those things because contrary to what everyone believes, the referendum wasn't the button that pushes Article 57 on the Lisbon Treaty. There is a long, long way to go. So at the moment, there is no story about Brexit affecting F1. So I, I can take it you didn't read my show notes then. God. OK, tell me, tell me what, what you want to say. <laughs> well, regardless of what actually happens with Article 50, one thing that is a fact and not speculation is the remarkable drop of your currency relative to dollars and euros. Yeah, and that's a pain for anyone wanting to leave the country, which is every F1 team every week. But fascinatingly enough, it actually might be a bit of a boon for most of the Formula One community because FOM... Vendor contracts are all specified in dollars and euros, but almost all of their personnel are specified in pounds sterling, meaning they could reap as much as a 10% extra profit on the drop in the pound sterling. And of the 11 teams, eight of them located in the UK find themselves similarly situated in that most of their vendor contracts are not necessarily in pounds, but in either euros or dollars, meaning that their personnel costs will drop while their vendor prices won't change at all. Yep. Uh, and, and people are under the illusion, I think, that this is a very temporary situation and that the currency will go back to how it was a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and I don't think that's going to happen for a while. Well, regardless of whether or not it goes back, I I can offer a little real-world window into that because my wife's day job occasionally involves buying things from your country. Okay. And and she's properly put in to spend a very large amount of money because essentially this offers a 10% discount to us over here in America land. And uh, some people on Twitter were turning the knife in, suggesting that now was the best time to buy Silverstone tickets at a 10% discount for all American F1 fans. Woohoo. Too soon, guys. Too soon. <laughs> okay, so the first bit of news we have is silly season. And we are, we're getting to that point now. But if it kind of feels like silly season started from race one, uh, where are we starting in particular? The man of the moment, Sergio Perez, being touted to go to Ferrari. Yeah, he he you know, he had some very conveniently timed podiums I would say relative to the endless speculation about Kimi Raikkonen's supposed underperformance. It's not supposed, is it? It's he's it's appalling. He's just he doesn't seem to turn up. I I fail to believe that Vettel is I know he's good. I know he's good. You don't win four championships by accident all the rest of it, but with apologies to Vivian Bove, Kimmy's not been nowhere this race and he's been in this race this season he has been consistently nowhere race after race to which I would put to you and and what do you suppose Sergio Perez would do when Ferrari told him to get out of Vettel's way in Baku yeah well this is the thing though because Sergio Perez it depends on the way Ferrari do things doesn't it Ken because uh, our good friend Carlo Carluccio the F1 historian uh, was saying to me, oh, he's really annoyed with what Schumacher's done to Ferrari's reputation. He's going, you youngsters, you youngins now, you feel like uh, Ferrari have always got a, a, a preferred number one policy when that's not what Ferrari's about. 
But I'm sorry, as as long as I've been an F1 fan, really, as a 35-year-old, they've always had a number one driver. So I, I imagine Sergio Perez would have done what he's told or he'd have lasted a scant one season. Yeah, hard to say what Sergio would do if he takes that order or not. But on the other hand, I certainly agree with you. And I have to disagree with our friend Carlo because Niki Lotta has written some good books um, a few years ago. And he made clear that there was, when he was at Ferrari, a number one and a number two. And when he uh, got himself all burnt to a crisp, um, that was one of the things that he did, was come back and quickly reestablish himself as number one so he could get the team to focus the car around him. Okay, but for everything else that Carlo writes on my website, www.spannersready.com, he's completely right, and you can trust him as a source. Uh, damn, I'm, I'm torn between wanting to win this particular argument and promote the site. Okay, so is there a space going to be free at Ferrari next season? Are we sure Kimmy's out the door? Because I am. I, I don't think it's a coincidence that um, the Mexican sponsors have been big at Ferrari and that the... Uh, um, what is uh, Sergio's countryman that is um, Carlos Slim? Racing, racing for Haas. Oh, um, sorry. Esteban, Esteban Gutierrez. Yeah. So it was, uh, I, I just see, I called this quite a while ago, and some of my friends said, no, no way is Sergio going to end up at Ferrari. But um, Sergio is a talent. Um, he shows well against his famous teammate. Um, who's also highly regarded, I, and he's got that sponsorship. I don't know if I had a if I had a dollar to bet, I would say Perez to Ferrari is probably a good way to go. And it's uh, it's an unceremonious end to Kimi Räikkönen's Räikkönen's career if if this is how he's going out because he's clearly racing in a very obedient manner, and you can only think he's doing that because he wants another year's paycheck. Uh, it's hard to say with Kimmy, you know, really as to how desperate he wants to go another season there. I haven't seen him speak loudly like, golly, that's really what's the most important thing for me is to race one more season at Ferrari. Were you not listening to him screaming about the radio restrictions at Baku then? He sounded rather passionate for someone who finished Descent, I have to admit. Uh, to be honest, I think that's just because that directly inconvenienced him. I reckon if you don't ever directly inconvenience Kimi Raikkonen, you're fine. You're absolutely fine. <laughs> Summers, are you a Perez fan? Because I know you've probably got a more technical look on, on this than we have. But in, to my mind, he's always been a fast guy. Never really seen Hulkenberg race in the same manner as him. And whenever the opportunities have arisen, it's Sergio Perez who's taking them for Force India. Yeah, that, that's the clear thing about the, the situation with the drivers at Force India, for me at least, is the fact that they've supposedly got two very talented drivers that should realistically be on a level playing field with one another. And Perez is the one that has taken them further. Um, Perez has obviously got some good links to Ferrari. And I think, unfortunately, he took a lot of stick when he went to McLaren. And um, obviously that, that didn't pan out as he expected it to kind of tainted his career unfortunately okay so other contenders we don't rate any of the other contenders let's say now this ferrari seat is definitely open uh no shout for grosjean sorry go on matt well the other contenders would very much be grosjean and signs i would tend to think would be the two other people they might look at be a big jump for signs wouldn't it really to go from the red bull young driver program in the toro rosso overlooked 
for the big boy seat at Red Bull only to then get a seat at Ferrari, that would be some story. Yeah, but you just look at his results and, and, and they're not outstanding in the way Perez are because the Toro Rosso isn't capable of delivering that result. But if you look at the job he has done against Verstappen and the job he has done against Kvyat as well, uh, it really stacks up. And, and he has, he has the potential to be a solid number two driver for them and faster than Kimi, I would think. So, go on, Ken. No, you know, if, if, if I may disagree with my, um, my good friend, I, I, there's two things against signs going to Ferrari. And one is that Ferrari has this history of choosing well-established older drivers. Um, and Vettel was, he may not be the oldest driver, but he is certainly well-established with four, four world championships. And uh, they've had their pickup drivers they choose the older, more established drivers. And the other thing is that Sainz, and I agree, uh, Matt, with your assessment of him, he's he's a brilliant talent, and I think he's got a lot of potential, but he is still making mistakes that would not work well, um, I think, at the higher level that uh, Ferrari's going to, he's going to be under at Ferrari, the higher level of pressure there. Well, he's certainly not going to make more mistakes than. <laughs> hey, be kind now. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I, Vivian will never talk to me again if I finish that sentence. <laughs> yeah, I, I, Grosjean, I think, also is an interesting case because he he looked to be the choice, didn't he, early on? Yeah, great point. And I think Grosjean's still in the running and he's well established. Not only that, I mean, he's gone through the ringer of the higher pressure because he had that. I, I think he's been really well managed. He's done like the psychological um, high performance sporting stuff or whatnot. And that guy is super impressive. So, uh, you know, at this point, it's hard to say who's going to be the real person or whether or not they're playing off the two drivers against each other in negotiations. But you would think Grosjean would be probably the lead, uh, perhaps, unless Perez um, is able to get his sponsorship to get him into that seat. Okay, so I'm wondering now, if I'm one of these guys in contention for the Ferrari seat, I think there's a possibility, especially while it still exists, of the Mercedes seat still being available that that one seems to be the one where you're going to be given a fighting chance to beat your teammate. I think if you go to Ferrari, you're there to support Vettel. And I think putting being too good, kicking up a stink, complaining about being a number two won't go down well. Whereas at Mercedes, although I do think that Mercedes, uh, Hamilton is their golden boy and their number one, you're going to get a chance to race at Mercedes. So, you know, I think would Mercedes be more likely to bring in a, a Perez or a Signs or a Veerlein to come in and actually and give Hamilton a good a good test. Yeah, so I I would say definitely yes, and um, because they they're very much in the and I don't know if this is right or not, but I call it the the, the English philosophy of a team having two drivers that push each other uh, to the maximum. Um, and and I think Mercedes tends to run their team that way. And, and of course, uh, hardcore fans of either the current Mercedes drivers may disagree, of course, on that. But I, I think in general that they do work really hard to 
to get that. And I think it's to their benefit. And one of the reasons for their success, although uh, Summer's brilliant article, um, I'll just foreshadow, um, really helps explain a lot of their success. But two drivers pushing each other are always going to raise the limit. Whereas if you have one number one driver, a number two driver, um, you're very vulnerable uh, in that situation to the number one driver having a bad day, coming off of his game. I mean, just look back to what Senna and um, did when he had uh, Michael Andretti uh, as a teammate, and then Mika Hakkinen steps in and boom, out qualifies Ayrton Senna for the pole in the very first race. It, I think it really showed how lackadaisical a number one driver can be if they don't have another driver pushing them. Right. And I, since I know that Spanners is such a fan of baseball, I will point out that it's one of those interesting statistical flukes that baseball players in the final year of their contract always outperform the middle meat of their contract. And it's because they know <laughs> <laughs> that their next set of numbers is going to be very dependent on them looking like they actually still have something left in the bag. And I think the same is true for drivers. And my only question to Spanners would be, like you say, looking for someone to push Hamilton, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong, who's leading the championship right now? Oh, don't. I've been hearing that on the internet. That's just such, and you know you're goading me. You know you're pushing that button. No, no. (laughs) It's an honest philosophical question. It baffles me. In in the day and age where we have all the information about the technical failures that Hamilton had, anyone is still there claiming that Rosberg is leading the championship on anything other than the fact that Lewis has had those three pretty severe qualifying dramas. So, no, I'm not going to... No, I'm not even yes. going to entertain that. Yes. Summers, that, go on, go on, Matt. No, no, I was going to say that horrible drama where he drove into the wall all by himself is tragic. Oh, look, yeah, he had a bad weekend at Baku, definitely. I mean... <laughs> It's it's hard to defend that. I mean, I've heard I've heard someone say something about it could have been Summers actually. Summers was it you that was saying that they had to change the brake biases forward to protect to attempt to protect the Mercedes brakes in in the race. Uh, so in qualifying, they shifted the brake bias forward. Right, it wasn't particularly to do with brake bias. They had a, a, an issue with um, the brake ducts going into into free practice so they changed the brake ducts um going into into qualifying effectively and that changed the temperatures of the front tires okay but it, it was still clearly uh, he didn't adjust to that situation and he kept making those mistakes he definitely had a bad weekend in the office i'll give you that so it, you know that that alone though doesn't account for rosberg's 25 point lead so come on let's be sensible let's wait for it to shift out and if lewis hamilton is winning the championship leading the championship in 10 races time uh despite having had those tech failures uh, i don't know i don't know just shut up people just shut up <laughs> <laughs> i reject your reality and substitute my own oh get out of it okay so honestly hands up anyone who thinks that rosberg is leading the championship on merit there we go exactly summers you have no video but i'm assuming because you've got a brain that your hand is not up uh, no, it's not. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. So let's move on to uh, Jensen Button. Uh, Summers, where do you fall in the Jensen Button camp? Are you a fan of Britain's gentleman driver? Yeah, I'm a fan of Jensen Button, but um, I think every British person is. Um, he did very well in 2009, and obviously that was very much down to the, the car. We obviously saw in the first few races, he won the first six, if I remember correctly. Um 
so obviously there was a, a lot to do with the car in that situation and obviously he's had other other chances throughout his career um particularly with mclaren obviously in this later section of his career not whilst with honda unfortunately um mm, but definitely he has not. had those chances and uh, I, I think that might have tainted his his uh respect for from some people yeah uh, right now, you may have noticed that Matt Summerfield, Summers F1's audio, has taken a distinct phone-like tone, and that's because he has now had to call in from the phone. We also had to cancel the live stream this week. Storms across the UK. Uh, basically, we have to pay the price for any hint of nice weather. We have to have a wonderful downpour. And I think it's my internet that's making it all go wrong. But the Isle of Wight isn't particularly great in the first place. So Summers will be joining us by phone for the rest of the season. But for the rest of the season... For the rest of the episode. Uh, but there's talk of buttons to, button to Williams. And I, I can't see it from just a pure racing point of view. Is it just nostalgia and money that's making this happen? Or, you know, the money that he can bring? Okay, so I'll jump in. And I must be candid. I, I am a uh, secret uh, Williams fanboy, I guess you could call me. And, whoop, whoop. and please do. But um, And I am neutral. I appreciate any team that does good. But I... Uh, think that he's likely for the very reason that you mentioned in that Williams has been really smart in the last uh, three seasons where they're very conscious of their budget, trying to increase um, what they're bringing in. They're not a top tier team budget wise, um, and they're trying to get the most bang for their buck. And I think Button fits um, hits uh, a lot of those points. He can bring in money. And not only that, I, I think some people don't appreciate, I, I think Button is still functioning at a very high level because uh, his teammate um, is uh, pretty darn good and he seems to be able to hold his own still uh, amongst his teammates, uh, whoever they may be. And sure, he may be renowned for complaining on the radio. He uh, still has speed. I think he's a good addition. Yeah, well, I'll just jump in on top of that and say it's obviously a no-brainer for Williams because relative to Massa, he's going to save them buckets on tires. <laughs> yeah, but he's going to wear out the batteries on the radio system because he's going to be talking to the pits all through the race. Yeah, well, fair enough. So last last on our silly season list is then, uh, is this the end of Fernando Alonso's career? And I'm going to make the case for yes, because at the end of every Grand Prix, he seems to be pleading to to quit, to retire the car. Now, in Canada, we heard him say, please, can, I, can we stop now? And they were like, dude, we are like 13th. If three cars drop out, we get a point. And in the end, he finished 11th. And he was kind of like, uh, okay, then. And then in Baku, we saw a very similar situation again. Now, I saw odds from Paddy Power that said against both McLaren cars to be uh, what do you call it, classified, was some ridiculous odds, like three to one. So I instantly, I, I, I bet the house on that because all you have to do for that to win is for one of the McLaren cars to not be classified. And giving us uh, Alonso can't be bothered to even finish, I thought it was a no-brainer. And to be honest, Tony Thunderbeast Barnard, he was the one calling it to me on the text saying, what are the odds that Alonso, out of the points, now develops some mysterious technical failure? And sure enough, some innocuous thing came, oh yeah, we've got to retire the car. It's not a pull over to the side of a track thing. It's conveniently a fault that allows him to park it in the garage. But if they don't finish the race, there's a whole host of stuff they can replace penalty free. And if you're 
Mac Honda at this point. Anytime you can replace <laughs> things for new things, you're definitely going to be one step ahead. Okay, that's something <laughs> I hadn't considered, but Button isn't doing that. Button's trying to finish. He's giving it a good old British try. Yeah, that's oh. because he's looking at getting the axe at the end of the season <laughs> and his entirely different motivation. Now, I, I, I think Alonzo may not quite be done yet, but I think these are just uh, probably warning shots across the bow of Honda that if, if they don't turn up with a proper contender next year, he's going to be done. He's going to go try and win the Indy 500. He's going to go try and win Le Mans with his buddy Mark Webber because – you know, there's there's just a I think there's just really a window in Formula One, the way it is now. And beyond that window, you're never going to be competitive, unless you have the kind of advantage that you know maybe arguably Mercedes has right now. No, I got so uh, let me just disagree with both of you. Then I think uh, Alonso is definitely in for at least one more year um, at McLaren. And and also I want to correct something that um, and maybe uh, Summers, he's our uh, media insider guy. Uh, he may be able to uh, back me up on this. But my understanding is that Canada, when he said, uh, uh, hey, guys, uh, please, can I come in now? He was saying, hey, can I come in for tires? Um and the team knew exactly what he was talking about, and they said no because um, he was in a position where they figured he could hang on to the top of the set that he had. They had taken a gamble, and he was doing a long run. If he hung on to them, even at the slow pace, he would finish ahead of somebody that was behind him. And because they were just one spot out of the points, if somebody dropped, they would still be in it. So I, I do think, though, he's got another season. McLaren seems happy with him. Simon, is yeah. he talking rubbish? No, he's not talking rubbish. That's that was the actual um, conversation that came out of McLaren Honda. Uh, the fact that it was a it was a tire pit stop scenario. Oh, that, okay. It uh, could Alonso was trying to force. Okay, but given that it sounded exactly like he just couldn't be bothered, McLaren. Uh-huh. What McLaren said afterwards could just be a lie. Sometimes people do that. Yeah, there is. It could it it could just be oh that sounded terrible. Let's say it was about tires. I didn't think that. I didn't think that at all when I saw the press release Uh, from Eric Boulier. All right, guys, let's uh, move it on to Haas. News brought to you by Dad Hub. Some very handsome fathers take a look at relationship and parenting from a dad's view on Dad Hub Podcast. Find it at spannersready.com. So who's this guy, Leclerc? Some French fella. He's going to get a drive at Haas. Uh, not just a French fella. He's a official Ferrari Driver Academy member. And that's good, is it? Well, we all know the special relationship that Ferrari and Haas have. And we're just seeing yet more evidence of it. In fact, he's going to get to drive at Silverstone, uh, Hungary, Germany, Malaysia, and Abu Dhabi. And guess who he's going to take the place of? Gutierrez. Excellent. How did you know that? It's almost like you paid attention. Because that's the other dude what pays money to be at Haas, I guess. But okay, so this. But okay, so in my mind, no one's going to convince me that Gutierrez is good. He's there because of some sort of cash deal. But what about this Leclerc fella? Uh, he's won races in GP3. He's young. He's only 18. Cool. Uh, I, don't, I don't see this being a race seat next year, necessarily. 
but I think this is his reward for being the the top member at the moment of the Ferrari Academy as someone that they think. And actually, it's interesting. Do you know who picked him for the Academy? Why are you always asking me questions? Just tell me things. I could ask myself questions that I don't know. Because the audience will know and they will think they are smarter than you, thereby <laughs> making them listen more. But okay, right. you made me say that out loud. Yeah. Um, Jules Bianchi actually handpicked him for the Academy. Oh, excellent. Okay. Interesting. That's brilliant. So then who picked Lance Stroll then, Matt? Uh, I think his billionaire father picked him. For the <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what that reminds me of? That reminds me of a Mrs. Merton interview of Paul Daniels's uh, wife, Debbie McGee. And the first question she asked him was, so what first attracted you to the millionaire Paul Daniels? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so while we're on Haas, while we're on Haas, you mentioned in the notes, that is that their strategist, Ruth Buscombe? Is that their strategist that didn't want to speak to anyone after Australia? That would be her. And you're saying she seems to have disappeared. Why? She is- Where's she gone? I want Ruth. We want Ruth. Well, we do. We want Ruth for a lot of different reasons. Amongst others, she's a member of Dare to Be Different, Susie Wolf's uh, organization promoting the greater role of women in motorsports. Yeah. And more to the point, uh, her pit call in Australia was directly responsible for Groshan's phenomenal result, keeping him out when all others tried to take advantage of the safety car. And it wound up working up very much in their favor. And she apparently, now this is all reporting based on Will Buxton, I will say, uh, his Racer Magazine article about Ferrari, yeah. uh, is that she's not been seen on the pit wall since race three. Mm-hmm. And uh, coincidentally, that's when almost all of Ha's performance disappeared. And instead we saw suddenly in the news, Ayo Komatsu, who is uh, Grosjean's race engineer. Ooh. Now, I-, I don't know from nothing, but I did go uh, make a few little inquiries. And the one thing that I can tell you that is a fact is the last time she ha- tweeted anything was April 10th. Oh, man. So like, we don't think anything suspicious has happened to her. We're just thinking maybe she's left the team. We're not like... Uh, we're not sure, but, but Buxton is reporting that there was a... There was a raft of resignations from Haas post-Canada, and I cannot confirm that anywhere else but with him. So I'm vaguely concerned about the sudden state of health of that team because it seems like the people who may have been responsible for their early success are leaving, and I don't know why. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to shuffle over to Summers in a minute, but I must say, yes, I'm a fan of Haas. I wanted them to do well. I want an American team to do well. I want America all in, on board, you know, on F1. You know, plus I might have some cultural American leanings myself. Um, But Will Buxton, uh, I'm not very happy with Will because somebody linked me to a tweet of his and and I shuffled to it and and I clicked it only to find out I'm blocked from his account, which made me very upset. I don't know. I was thinking, I don't know what I could have done to upset Will Buxton because I haven't interacted with him since he ran away from Twitter and then came home hungry. I, I, I couldn't tell you. I have no idea. Well, I was very Honestly. sad. That made me upset. 
It bru- oh, poor spanners. It bruised my ego. Like, Will Buckton blocked me for some reason. Maybe he blocks a lot of people, though. He seems quite temperamental. Summers, now do you... I'm sad, too. Oh. <laughs> now we're all sad. I don't know what we're going to do. <laughs> Summers, uh, you you know a little bit more than us. Uh, what's going on at Haas? The picture that Trumpets paints is a team in turmoil. Forget Brexit. It's Hats Hassit. Hacksit? Hacksit. That, that doesn't kind of have a, a good ring to it. Doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't at all. Spanners. No, um, it's failed. It's a failure. Um, honestly, I haven't heard a great deal about it, but we must remember that all of these people are ex-Ferrari engineers. Roof used to work for Ferrari, um, most definitely, because we've seen uh, in, obviously, their, their dress in previous seasons. So... Um, I haven't heard much about the, the mass exodus that uh, Trumpets has just said about, but it wouldn't surprise me that a number of engineers are, are making a switch back either to Ferrari or obviously thinking about 2017 and, and the onwards moves that, that might happen as well besides that. Because I suppose if you leave an F1 team, you don't get to just shuffle across a couple of booths over to the next team. There's normally a period of gardening leave, isn't there? So I guess if they wanted a seat next season or even... 2018, you know, they've got to leave as soon as possible. Exactly, yeah. You, you can't just simply say, oh, I've, I've had enough and I'm moving on. Um, obviously, because of the way that the, the secrecy within F1 works, the data that can be shared, um, you, you can't literally up sticks and move to another team. Right, you're ringing a bell for me. And this was the uh, Mercedes inquiring about the relationship between Haas and Ferrari prior to Haas officially joining F1. And I'm remembering that one of the changes in the regulations had to do with movement of personnel in particular. I don't recall it exactly the letter. I've not looked it up uh, ahead of time. But you're right, that may actually be very much behind it in that Ferrari may want some of these people back on their team for next year. Ken? Well, I don't want to interrupt Summers. Wasn't it six months or something? Was that the rule or or three months, something? Summers? Um, I I think it's six months because that's the usual length of gardening leave. Well, there you go. Well, that would make, you know, perfect sense then for people to be leaving about now oh okay excellent uh let's move on with the news okay so we're gonna you're gonna get a glimpse into my awful planning here due to matt's tech problems we're gonna just i think uh we're gonna run the next news item and then we're gonna do one less of uh, matt's tech time just because you know the mobile phone and all the rest of it if everyone is in agreement with that i'll move on to the arib of any story let's hear some nods it's it's all good all good buddy okay Ariba Veni says things, and he's angry when he says those things. Matt, what's he on about now? Well, he was in an interview quoted as saying he thought that the rules were too complicated, not just for the fans, but for the teams as well. So that. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market the excuse this week it's all just a bit too difficult and it's hard always necessarily to take him seriously not just because he's italian necessarily but because he has the <laughs> full what tensions are running really high in the eu now you can't you can't just that's borderline racist but anyway carry on your perfectly legitimate point but more because we all know he has the full support of Marchioni in his current position, which always seems to be an utter death knell for whoever's running Ferrari. You know, now though, his his weird boast that he was they were going to win in Barcelona, doesn't it seem slightly less crazy given the kind of Canada, uh, well, Baku's a bit of a freak, but given that Canada pace... Does it now seem a little bit less nuts that he was thinking they might have done all right in Barcelona? No? Well, I mean, they did all right the year before. They took advantage of circumstance. But I think that's where they find themselves. And I think when we get to the technical part of the show and discuss Summer's article, it's going to be very obvious why they're where they are and why Mercedes is where it is right now. Um, but what interested me also, and I think this is actually more germane, was that uh, they were discussing testing and he called for, similar to MotoGP, having the team stick around for the Monday and Tuesday after the Grand Prix, maybe drop a race or two and do some proper testing at the circuit where they've just raced, not only to give the fans a different experience, but also to be able to better work with the tires. And I thought it was very interesting. I'd be curious if Summers had any comment on that. Well, it's something that I've actually been saying for a number of years now that I can't actually understand why the teams don't stay on and, and test after Grand Prix because, you know, they've got the circuit there. Um, I understand the constraints in terms of the calendar because obviously they, they want to ship parts, etc. onwards. So, yeah, you would need to readjust things in terms of the calendar. And then that obviously has an impact on money and Bernie and all of those sort of things. So, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a tug of war scenario, but I understand where they're coming from in terms of the testing pro after a Grand Prix. 
What about you, Ken? Would you like to see something like that happen? So the the problem has always been, I mean, that that strikes me initially as like, yeah, that's a great idea, right? You know, you don't have to fly people in. You're already there, right? You know, the problem has always been, though, it costs a ton of money to do that testing. Even if you're saving the money of flying people in because they're already on site, um, you know, rolling these cars on the track, the cost and tires and engineering and all that. Um, so for Ferrari, that would be great. And that's very germane to our upcoming um, discussion of the great article that Summers public, uh, had published recently. But for Ferrari can afford the testing, half the grid, um, that's falls under the line of hmm, possible budget buster. So I, I'm, I'm not quite sure. And maybe uh, Summers, you may know a little bit more about that than I do. But I, I fear that there's a lot of pushback from small teams against that uh, idea. I think the biggest problem with budgets when, when we talk about money is the fact that nothing ever really changes. The budgets are always very similar. It, it's just obviously in terms of economics that, you know, the, the money goes up and down. But in, in reality, the, the actual cost to do these things doesn't change. The biggest change that we've had in the last 10 years would have been the movement towards non-track testing. So teams had to go out and spend money on their wind tunnels and hugely complex CFD. And since then, we've had the restrictions to try and bring those testing elements down and that costs more money again. So it's always a case of um, fighting against the, the cost element of things. And yeah, I can understand where the, the smaller teams are coming from, but it's sort of try to press the reset. I think he's finished. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think that wasn't a dropout. I think he just finished talking. That, yeah, guys, that's just how Birmingham accents work. The, the Yanks, you've just got to get up to, get up to speed quickly. <laughs> All right. So fair enough. Fair enough. Good point. I, I just, I, the budgets haven't changed, but I, I do think um, Ferrari would benefit the most. They have the biggest darn budget uh, of all. So, um I just but that, I that, that's not changed, Ken. They've, they've always had the biggest budget, so it, it's just a case of shuffling, shuffling the deck. Effectively, um, Ferrari have always had the most money, and they've always had the most money from from the sport itself and the sponsorship. So, uh, I think it's I think it's a poor poor excuse on the, the smaller teams' behalf. Um, I understand that they're struggling for sponsorship and whatnot in this kind of. Um, since we've moved to the hybrid era because of the way that the sport is promoted. But I do think that there's a bit of an, a, a blame culture coming about. Well, my heart breaks for our poor brothers at Ferrari. How do they get by? How do they sleep at night? Presumably on a large bed full of money surrounded by beautiful women. Uh, do you want some tech time, boys? I think we oh, will. Oh, yes. Let's play this. Tech Time, in association with Amanda Weaver-Writes. Follow Amanda on Twitter. She writes books that make ideal gifts for your wife that will keep her busy while you do 
whatever you want. I'm sure certain people on this panel endorse that message. Uh, I go, hope you guys are enjoying the podcast. One note I will just say, it's all fine and well to listen to it from the site or pick it up from wherever you see it posted, but subscribe to it on iTunes if you're an Apple person or your podcatcher of choice if you're an Android. Keep it ticking over and downloading and being delivered to you early in the morning on a Monday morning. That helps us as well. Gives us a nice consistent download base. Uh, why not, when the live stream is working, when we don't have storms in the UK, you can join the chat room at spannersready.com forward slash live stream. We have a landline number that you can call in on that Summerfield, that Summers F1, Summerfield, that Summer, you're not a shop, are you? You're a tech analyst. Uh, that <laughs> Summers F1 is calling in on now, which is 0115 apex and uh, you will be teleported straight into this podcast and everyone who listens will hear you over to you matt for tech time stuff right so i am actually here i'm just giving it one of my iconic pauses before we begin i live for your pauses yeah i know you do almost as much as you live for f1 so i'll tell you what watching mercedes at baku was like rolling the clock back to 2014 and the first race. They seemed to be so, so far ahead of the rest of the field. But it wasn't till after the race was over. And Summers published this article that we've been referencing, referencing all episode, that it really began to make sense to me. And in particular, what they'd done with regard to the tires and with their technical partnerships. And so I just wanted to ask, uh, or just have you go over, if you could, Summers, uh, in particular, their use of the camera and the, the Wi-Fi. Okay, so, so, so basically, uh, there's lots of things that Mercedes, in my opinion, are doing that other teams aren't doing. And it's very strange that, from a technical point of view, that the other teams have allowed Mercedes to do these things um, and not copied them. Um, it makes zero sense because it is realistically all to do with tyres. And as we've talked on many podcasts before, tyres are such a huge performance differentiator. And especially at a circuit like Baku, where there was literally no data available to them, um, a lot of the teams were complaining that they hadn't even got references from their simulators because there was no um, programme available for them to run in the simulator. So some of the drivers were actually... Um, making themselves comfortable with the, the track itself via uh, the F1 game on, on a console, which we can all go out and do. Uh, so it, it just, for me, beggars belief that the other teams haven't kind of caught on to a few of the tricks that Mercedes have been doing in recent years. And as you mentioned, Matt, the, the, one of the things is the, the thermal imaging cameras. So they use, during free practice, they mount in the positions alongside the airbox to um, sort of neutral um, airbox camera mounts and in there you've got four thermal imaging cameras one that looks at each tyre and they're getting a huge amount of data from that in terms of what the tyres are doing throughout a lap whether the, whether, and also depending on which driver it is and they can use that to, to reference from and obviously that, that data is available to the engineers on the, the circuit and also back at the factory Right. And and you had mentioned in your article, and I think this really, this may be where they are just miles ahead, is that they had actually modified these cameras, 
with a Wi-Fi system that allowed them to get the data to the engineers even more quickly. That's right, yeah. So, so basically, um, the cars can hold, only hold so much data um, when we're talking about telemetry, etc. So all of the, the lead teams, you'll notice on their front wing, they'll mount a thermal imaging camera. Um, and, and that thermal imaging camera, obviously, all the teams are looking at what's going on in terms of the um, the loading in, in the tyres. Um, but Mercedes, obviously, with their, their new system, is independent of that because there's so much data. They're looking at a huge spectrum of, of the, the tyres, um, not just the front tyres. And that data needs to, to be obviously sent back to the, the pit lane and back to the factory. And so to do that, they've worked with their partner, Qualcomm, um, to use a, a Wi-Fi network that when the driver enters the pit lane, those packets of information start to download to the, to the pit wall um, rather than it having to roll into the garage, all the bodywork come off, and then they start the download at that point once the car's plugged in. Yeah, and I think spanners will be very jealous to hear that you said that it runs around 1,500 megabits per second on its download wirelessly. Cool. We could, we'd, we'd kill for that just now. <laughs> With all the tech problems we've had today in the storms, we would kill for <laughs> half of that. We need to get in, in touch with Qualcomm ourselves. Yes, I, I, I think so. And so now, but they are literally the only team that is doing this, correct? That's right, yeah. So they're, they're the only team that have this array of thermal cameras on the car to use during free practice, which they're obviously gathering a huge amount of data to work with. Um, Ferrari, I think, in 2014 tried it for a, a, maybe a race or two, but then it, they just abandoned the project. I'm not sure as to why. I, I, I really need to check back um, through, through my notes from that season. Well, um, um, if, any, if my experience of working in Rome is of any bearing then it's uh i reckon it was just lunch or something lunch or they bumped into someone they knew i don't know oh man and you were giving me grief man yeah i know but this one this was too personal this was too close to home that <laughs> that affected my livelihood right so so another thing that really interested me was the story of the mercedes spoon rear wing yes so the the development curve of the Mercedes for myself is astonishing. It has been since 2014, but this year in particular has been particularly aggressive from them. And I think it's because they realised that there was some threat from Ferrari going into 2016, and they had to up their game slightly. So the, the W7 is actually a really aggressive design. Um, there's a huge amount of detail work gone into that car, and it's almost as if they're going, well... You know, we were this far ahead and we really need to, to up our game a little bit to try and stay there. Um, but the spoon rear wing is something that they used last season as well, uh, back at Spa and Monza. Uh, but this year, they were able to utilise a section of the regulations that were changed at the start of the season that was wrong from uh, when the regulations were quite changed in 2014. You, may I interrupt? You know what's amazing about that spoon uh, wing uh, that you highlighted, Matt, in the article was that they um, didn't they test that in the first uh, free practice at Canada. They did, yes. And and so, like to back to the earlier point about um, Arriva Bene, you know, complaining, oh, the regulations are too 
complicated and also we should have you know pra uh, some practice test sessions after the races what's most impressive about mercedes not only the creativity finding this technical solution with being able to download mass quantities of data during the free practice but in addition to that they're testing they're testing during the free practice on friday using that valuable time it just seems really really smart on their part yeah, they're, they're, they're streets ahead in terms of being able to bring parts to the car and, and test it ahead of time. It's not the first time this season that they've took something to another race that with the express intention of it not being run at that race, but in fact being run maybe one or two races down the line. Um, but just quickly going to Arriva Benet's comments, I've heard this before and not from Arriva Benet, and it's in as much as that Formula One is a very complex sport and the rules are written in English, and unfortunately, there are teams that don't have English as their mother tongue. Mm. And it's difficult sometimes for that translational element to get things 100% because of the way that the rules are written. Okay, so what should the rest of the world do? That's right. Everyone just convert to English. It is time. <laughs> It is time. Uh, we gave Esper we gave Esperanto a chance, and it didn't kick off apart from Red Dwarf novels. So now it's time to settle into English. No, I thought it was everybody should convert to Italian. Isn't that what we all need to do? No, think how tired our hands and arms would be. <laughs> we would all be so much stronger. The interesting thing is I've got some of the original yellow books. That's what the regulations were to start with, back from the fifth, sort of the seventies. And they were actually written in French and converted to English. Oh, well, but more go. recently, they have now gone solely to English and then translated outwards. Right. Yeah. yeah and I think the IS. I think the ISC. There's a couple of documents that are dual English French, but otherwise it's all English. Now, the thing about that spoon rear wing. And you compared it to Ferrari and Red Bull. Basically, yeah. Ferrari and Red Bull just ran Monza solutions at Baku, but that's not really appropriate due to the nature of the circuit. That's right. So obviously, Baku is a is a bit different because it's a street circuit with a huge straight, uh, two point two kilometers, and obviously sectors one and three are high speed, whereas sector two, which is at the bit by the castle, um, is really quite demanding of downforce. But if you've trimmed your car out to enable to you re to reach those top speeds. When you get into the twisty section in sector two, you're going to struggle in terms of downforce. And this is a sort of yo-yo effect that we've talked about before in terms of tires and keeping them in their thermal operating window as well. Right, and so the difference being the Monza rear wing just trims downforce, period, but the spoon rear wing makes a transition from uh, drag and downforce more That's gently. Right. It concentrates the downforce more in the center but it doesn't remove as much of it so they get more benefit on the straights and given their stronger motor that's better for them because then they can run the tires longer which is what we actually saw them do yeah it was a, it's a it's a compromise at the end of the day at every circuit but the spoon wing offers something really in the middle when you come to a circuit like spa or um baku as we've just seen the Monza version last year was actually much slimmer in the centre section. Um, but it, again, they ran it last year at Monza, where everybody ran out with very low trim. Right. And now I think that makes also a nice contrast to your 
illustration of the Red Bull front wing, where it literally just more or less took a sawzall to Danny Ricardo's front and and just sawed it off so he could do better in qualifying. But then they ran into trouble in the race as a result. Yeah, and the Toro Rosso's did exactly the same. Um, they both literally took Haxel to the front wing. And it's something I haven't seen for a very long time, but because you usually see the, the, the wing flaps being made specifically for each circuit. Um, but obviously they got to the circuit and realised that they were literally running too much downforce, too much trim at the front end. And that was having an impact on their tyre wear for, for qualifying, heating the tyres up too quickly. Um, but obviously that came to pay um, bite them when, when they went into the race. Right, and and that makes a very nice contrast to to Force India, who who showed up with the their updated front wing, and and Perez, you highlighted, had this great comment where he's like, finally the arrow has supplanted basically you, the usage of tires, so they can use the tires as they were intended to be used because they finally had decent arrow on the front. That's right. Obviously, the the footprint that Barcelona cost design that moves towards the, the sort of Mercedes lineage where you've got a tunnel towards the outer portion of the wing that helps to control the arrow weight around the front end of the car and then that has an impact on the performance downstream. So obviously if you can sort that arrow out without having to give up too much mechanical load, which is what they were doing before, then you you get yourself back into a sweet spot in terms of the tire wear and uh, the, the degradation etc as well. And and that has then been a big motivator behind their their improvement of their results in the last couple of races is just getting on top of that arrow. But I don't know. I guess for me, the 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 thing that I'm looking at is you're talking about this partnership with Qualcomm. We also know that Petronas has been huge in developing uh, Mercedes performance as well. And it just seems like to me that they are doing an excellent job with their partnerships in terms of getting the most out of their car. I mean, to the point where they've changed the fuel regulations next year and they're not going to be allowed to update the fuels as often. Yeah, well, the next year you can only use six blends of fuel for it, I believe, off the top of my head. Okay, that's uh, Summers's phone signal giving up. After his internet gave up, now even the cell networks on the Isle of Wight have voted to leave the rest of the communications of Europe. I mean, uh, of Britain, of Britain. Uh, So, yes, look at the Isle of Wight demographic. Uh, I think I want to move on to the race preview. Slick tunes. We're going to Austria, baby. The domicile of the fat hippo. The land that I believe was in The Sound of Music. It's far away and covered in snow. What we do know is that that track used to be a lot harder. Now it's basically a box. Do you like this track, Matt? Do you approve of its place, the Red Bull Ring? I, You know, it's fun. It's fun. I, I think I preferred it in its older incarnation, but I, I think it's fun. And we certainly seen some, an interesting race or two there. And... You know, it's it, it's not going to be good, I think, for the Red Bull team so much, even though it is technically the Red Bull ring. Yeah, but I think it, it will be fascinating to see Force India and Williams at this track. Yeah, but I mean, if any track is going to suit Williams, this has got to be it, surely. 
Uh, they any time they try to put downforce on the car, it makes them lose their top line speed without increasing their cornering speed. So here they're pretty free; they don't have to worry about it too much. Am, am I oversimplifying it? They do they need downforce at all? Can they just take the wings off? Yeah, sure. What could possibly go wrong with that? Everything will be fine, like Massa discovered in FP1 in Canada. <laughs> Everything will be fine. Oh, Louis, you need to take more care and concentrate. Oh, is that an arm go? Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah. I don't know. It's it's a it's a funny track. It's one when I've played it on a video game. It's bored. It's bored me. <laughs> and it's, and it's just it's, there's not much to it. You know what? I I just wanted to say. Um, Peter Windsor mentioned something very interesting. You know, in regards to you know Spanners, your, your comment there about um, Williams and also um, Force India uh, that they may show strong, but Williams traditionally has done well here. Force India, they're doing quite well with with their package, obviously, recently, but uh, Sergio Perez has this strength that uh, Windsor was saying of being really excellent with the throttle and balancing uh, traction coming out of the corner, um, not losing the rear end, and being able to maximize out of there. And I'm thinking, and I don't know, and perhaps Summers could correct me, but that could be a distinct advantage and we may see Sergio be able to uh, rise once again at uh, the Red Bull rink. Yeah, I, I would suggest that that might. Uh, I personally feel that Force India might have actually leaked Williams over the last few races, just in terms of their yeah. their, their te- technical technical ability. Um, so yeah, I don't see any reason why Perez can't take the fight to to the Mercedes and the Ferraris. Interesting that you say Perez and not Force India. Yeah, uh, and Summers, you've been joining me in my six six pound challenge before each race, haven't you? Have you? How have you been getting on? Um, not particularly great. Daniel Ricciardo is my normal go-to bet. In the last couple of races, he hasn't really been there. Your phone line's terrible now, as well. <laughs> he really? basically said he basically said Ricardo has not come through for him the last couple of races, so he's he's his six pounds have gone. Yeah, you know, right. could have been better spent on a pint somewhere, I think. Look out for my £6 betting challenge on SpannersReady.com. Um, I released them before a tyre has hit the track, and the rules are, no money comes to me, use your own bookie. You bet £6, uh, you make more, uh, at least two bets, and you can only top up to your original £6 if you lose the lot. And let's see who's got the most at the end of the season. Right. Well, if we're talking about Austria, one thing you ought to know is that the track itself has been resurfaced and several bumps have been removed that, according to other drivers on the track, do make a bit of a difference in terms of overall lap time. In fact, I've seen predicted lap times into the 105s, which would be the all-time record, not just the all-time pole record, but the all-time record period for the track are predicted so if nothing else, the cars are going to be going very, very, very fast. But doesn't that mean that there's going to be low tire wear? Therefore, we're looking at a boring one stop again. Yeah, it's again, it's going to depend on on on, on it's going to depend on P one and two in the start. Now, isn't it? If we've got two Mercedes off the front together, mm. it's one race. If if we've got if we've got them subsumed by a Ferrari or perhaps, dare I say, a Force India, mm. well, then then we've got a completely different race. But two Mercedes in front equals maybe 
three laps worth of racing between them for the win. As has been the case for what? What would you say about a year and a half there, Ken? Yeah, but but just basically on tire wear alone, if it's a resurfaced track, doesn't that necessarily mean that we're in for a, a one-stop race, just the mandatory stop, much like yeah, we had that, in Russia? Barring a safety car or something like that, most likely. Well, yeah, but the caveat is that it depends upon the tarmac that's used um, as to how it works with the tires. It could actually remain the same. It could. It depends on how smooth the, the tarmac is. Okay, let's test your Austrian knowledge in a quiz. Okay then. So, when was the inaugural Austrian Grand Prix trumpets? 1983. Summers. Oh, 74. And Vortex. Uh, I'm going to go with 1960. 1964. Ken, you get 17 points for that. In terms <laughs> of podiums, who is the most successful driver at the Austrian Grand Prix? Who has had the most podium finishes? Michael Sorry, Schumacher. Uh, so, did you say William? No, in terms of podiums, who has had the most... Who yeah, has I been thought successful? he said Williams too, if that makes you feel better, yeah. Summers. In terms of podiums, who has been the most successful driver at the Austrian GP? Summers. Um, Alonso. Matt. Oh, my goodness gracious. You're going to put it all on me. But I would go Schumacher too. Okay, so the answer is actually David Coulthard. So Alonso has the most similar face to Coulthard. So you get 18 points, putting you in an early lead. Uh, who has who has the most driver wins in the history of the Austrian Grand Prix? Uh, Matt, sorry, trumpets. Uh, I'll go with Schumacher again because he's German, therefore close to Austria. Summers, good logic. Hakkinen. Mika Hakkinen, Vortex. Prost. Alan Prost with three wins. Two questions to go. Uh, that question was actually worth 50 points, Ken. So you're now 49 points in the lead. Uh, who has the most constructors' wins in the Austrian Grand Prix summers? Uh, Ferrari. Matt. Williams. And Vortex. McLaren. McLaren. Oh, my God. Uh, that, that, unfortunately, that question was worth minus 53 points. So going, in, <laughs> going into the last... <laughs> What is this top gear? Going into the last <laughs> question. Uh, what is the circuit length of the new Red Bull ring? Go. Summers F1. 4.7. 4.7. Trumpets. 5.4. 5.4. Vortex. 4.6. The look in your face. You, re you wanted this. You felt robbed by that minus question didn't you and it's true it has worked out like that because it's 4.3 which makes summers the winner of this week's quiz even though that question was only worth half a point uh guys where can <laughs> where can we find you on the internet summers where can people catch up with you apart from motorsport.com okay so i'm going to just cut out the garbled bit of mobile there and say it's summers f1 on twitter or www.summersf1.co.uk i'm hoping that's right vortex people can catch up with you you're worth following on the races you're just a funny amusing informed guy to follow on twitter during race days well that's very kind i'm on twitter at uh, vortex modio as one word, Vortex Motio. And that's M-O-T-I-O. -O. So people should follow you there. I'm surprised someone as knowledgeable as you does not put pen to paper and say things about F1 in the form of a blog. 
This is true. I keep wanting to dust off my pen and paper, and soon I will. That's what I keep saying. Okay. I think the problem might be you're too polite. You're constantly. Are you sure you're not Canadian? You're constantly apologising. Uh, uh, do you mind, guys? I, I know I'm here as a panelist on a podcast in front of a mic, but do you mind if I say something? And then if you have to disagree with us, like don't ask permission to disagree. I, I apologise for apologising as much as I have. That's pathetic. You, you guys didn't even see the Skype chat where one time he didn't apologise, and I thought that's better. But he put in the Skype chat, Matt. I was sorry, I interrupted there. I'm like, oh my goodness. Just interrupt. Uh, Matt Trumpets, where can people find you? At MattPT55 on the Twitters, please. That is the place to look for me. Okay. And uh, and Pete, Race well, and Quality Reports at TheJudge13.com. Yeah, they're good. I'm jealous. I want you over at SpannersReady.com, but I'm going to need some money. And to get money, I need you guys to come to SpannersReady.com and read the super interesting stuff that's there. We have... Uh, Carlo Carluccio, who does some F1 history, um, every week, every week, every day this week, we are going to have Austrian GP history for you to read. And that is going to be a mainstay of the season leading up to each race. You're going to have history articles from that race. Now, it was accused of being an angry man yelling at the clouds. Yes, that's right. Carlo Carluccio is an angry man yelling at the clouds, but he paints a beautiful narrative of those Grand Prix. If you want to feel what those Grand Prix were like. Read his articles. We've got the fat hippo who is much less delicate. He rants and raves. Uh, a very funny guy from Germany. We have Fortis, a very intelligent and passionate, passionate man writing on the site. And wouldn't you know it, me. I do the odd thing on their spanners log. But look, I'm not going to lose sleep over grammar and punctuation. So if you want great works of Shakespeare, the library and Matt Trumpets, Oh, that away. Join the Facebook group on Missed Apex Podcast on Facebook. There are 124 people on there now. You could be the 125th. Join that group. You post what you want. We're all in there. Until then, wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This has been Missed Apex Podcast. I think we all need to move to America for some good internet, despite yeah. weather. Co.eng is what it's going to be pretty soon. Summers, I felt like if uh, if anything else went wrong, we were going to have to move to smoke signals. Yeah, I know. I've I've got the carrier pigeon on the way. Hang on, what? No, hang on. What do they use in Game of Thrones? Ravens. Send a raven. So it'd be like, so Summers, what do you think of that? Well, know, we've just released the raven. Should be a, should be a few days and just leave it on record like that on the live stream. Everyone with their fingers crossed, arms folded. You know I'm going to use that comment now. What in an article? Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay, that's fine. If you embed a podcast player, I'm, it's, say what you want. I don't care. <laughs> Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.
it. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.